Lord, as we hunger and thirst after you this day, come meet us one by one. It's you we need. It's on you we may feed. It's for us you did bleed and die. And here we come into your presence, seeking your face, seeking you, longing to know that love all the more fully. So toward that end, Lord Jesus, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, I want to add a P.S. to uh, last Sunday's sermon, which was about Jesus saying to us, I am the good shepherd. These I am statements that we are considering together Sunday by Sunday as the sermon series concludes next week with I am the vine. But last week, I omitted to draw your attention to this brochure which is in your service sheet. Take it out just for a moment, will you please? You see it has on the front of it, I am the good shepherd. Now we have put this together in connection with the Franklin Graham celebration at the Consul Arena this coming August. That information is on the back of this little folder. If you open it up, you've got references to our being sheep, Jesus being the shepherd, and a list of spaces where you as an under-shepherd can list the names of people you know who are within your family, your friendships, your neighborhood, your schools, your workplace, people who need Jesus, who you could invite to come to the consul arena. So you've got a dozen places to write a dozen names and pray for them daily. So take this home with you and do just that. Put down there a list of a dozen names. I'm sure you have a dozen people in your life. And you put down those names and pray for those people daily. You bring them to the great shepherd Jesus in prayer that he may call them and make them his own. Back in 1954, Franklin Graham's dad came as a young man to London, England, funded by primarily the American people. 
And somebody had me in their sights and prayed for me. And invited me to go and hear Billy Graham. And the reason I'm standing here before you this morning as your pastor is because that night in listening to Billy Graham, Jesus became my sunshine. And I learned how to adore him and follow him and be his disciple. But it all began with a somebody praying for me and inviting me. You've got that privilege this year. And beyond that, to keep that list of names and continue to pray for people. I prayed for my mother for decades before she came to faith. I prayed for my brothers for decades. I'm still praying for two of them went to visit them last year in September in order to speak to them again about their soul's need. They live in Australia. There was one long, miserable journey there and back, but nothing like the journey Jesus made from glory to earth to reach you and me and those that you'll be praying for. So take advantage of this. I may allude to this if I have time, again, as part of the sermon material. We are looking at John chapter 6. Some of the verses that we're going to be considering are in your service sheet on page 6. Uh, let me encourage you to go to the Bible in the pew, find page 3033. And that will bring you to John's Gospel, chapter 6. If you've got your own Bible, then of course you can go right to it. 3033 will bring you to John, chapter 6, right there in the Bibles in the pews. Now, three things I'm going to draw your attention to as Jesus says, I am the bread of life. First is, he contrasts himself. Let me just give you the heads up on three main points. I may not get through them all. Some serious theology we're considering here this morning. But the first is that he contrasts himself as the bread of life with the manna that God gave to the children of Israel traveling through the wilderness as Moses led them out of Egypt toward the promised land. He contrasts himself to that kind of bread and his bread. Secondly, the nature of a sacrament. So when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, when he says in this passage, unless you feed on my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have eternal life. If you feed on me, my flesh and my blood, you will have eternal life to consider the theology of that statement, one of the two great sacraments that Jesus ordained, the other being baptism. The one, Holy Communion, is about coming to the cross. And that's a continual reminder. Baptism 
normally speaking, is a once-in-a-lifetime affair. When you give yourself to Jesus and are baptized. But you're baptized into his death and his resurrection. Holy Communion is a reminder continually of his death and resurrection and of his coming again. Those are the two sacraments that Jesus ordained in the Gospels. We'll consider the theology of that. And then thirdly, since Jesus is talking about feeding on him, a heading that I've called soul food, how do you get to feed on Jesus? So those are the three main points. The first one is, again, part of his claim to be divine. He came down from heaven. So he says in the text, verse 47, take a look at what it has to say. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your, far, your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now what has happened here in John chapter 6? If you've got your Bibles open and you go to verse 1, you see the heading there, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus pulled off that spectacular miracle of feeding 5,000 plus women and children with a few loaves and fishes. When you go on to verse 58, it refers back to that. Take a look at it. It said, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread, not the bread he gave them in the wilderness, but himself, he will live forever. And in feeding the 5,000, they had come looking to him to maybe feed them again, to do more of it. It's a, it's a human experience to want more and more and more. They had chased Jesus around the Sea of Galilee from one place to another, presumably, according to the teaching of Jesus, just so that they could get more of this bread. Verse 26 says this, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw the miraculous sign, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, 
but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's himself Jesus, will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So coming off of feeding the 5,000, miraculously breaking just a few loaves and continuing to feed so many, Jesus begins to teach about himself, not just bread that feeds the human need, the body, but bread that feeds the soul. And he's teaching about himself as the bread of life. And in the conversation, he ends up contrasting the bread that Moses as a miraculous sign given by God, fed the children of Israel day after day in the wilderness, and the difference being that when they ate that bread, they still died. They died in the wilderness eventually. None of those who left Egypt and went into the wilderness ended up in the promised land. They ate the manna, but they died in the wilderness. It was their offspring while they were the 40 years in the wilderness traveling around that went into the promised land led by Joshua. But Jesus, in contrast, says when you feed on him, you have eternal life. This is the very reason he came. When they asked him what work should they do, he said, believe on me. When you believe on me, you have eternal life. Not just sustenance for today, but life eternal forever. And a quality of life that begins even here and now when we feed on him. When he becomes our Lord and Savior. So he's using this opportunity, it's a long chapter, chapter 6, to teach them who he is and why he came. Who he is, divinely coming down from heaven. What he came to do, win our salvation by offering himself on the cross. And his being the I am the bread of life is one of those statements that claims divinity and because he is the bread of life describes the means by which that salvation will be won for us. The bread broken on the cross. His flesh impaled there his blood shed there, himself sacrificed there for our sin that we might be forgiven, receive him into our lives, be born again spiritually, and inherit the kingdom of God, heaven. 
That's the first piece of teaching concerning his being the bread. And that is the constant theme through all the teaching, that we need him. We need to feed on him. We need to entrust ourselves to him. He needs to fill us with himself. And the promise of hope and glory in heaven comes with that gift of himself to us. Now, the second main point that I want to draw to your attention is the nature of a sacrament. Look at verse 51. Verse 51 says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give to the world. Look at verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. What do you think that means? Here we're going to be celebrating Holy Communion. We will rehearse the words that Jesus said at the Last Supper. This is my body which is given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. There are two possible interpretations. One is that literally, when we eat this bread and drink from this cup, it is the body and blood of Christ. That doctrine is called transubstantiation, i.e., that means the changing of the substance from bread to flesh, from wine to blood. Now, at the Reformation, that teaching was totally and absolutely rejected. But it is an interpretation held by many around the world today, maybe some of you in this congregation. But at the heart of what became the Protestant Reformation, back in the 1500s, the Reformation came about because of all the abuses within the church of that day concerning, for one, the body really being Jesus in the bread and the blood being Jesus in the wine. 
so that even to this day in different parts of the world, from time to time, the sacrament is paraded through the streets as if it were God himself. And people fall down and worship it. And then that becomes idolatry. Worshipping the bread, worshipping the wine, as if it were God. Further to that, it was rejected because in the first place, Jesus could never have meant literally that we would drink his blood. Because the Jews never drank blood of any kind. And to this day, kosher food, kosher flesh, kosher meat, has been bled. And in any culture, to eat, to, to eat human flesh is cannibalism. I hate to sound so crass and blunt, but it has to be stated. If we really believe that the bread became flesh and the wine became blood, then we are participating in a kind of cannibalism. So what did Jesus mean if he did not mean it literally? Well, he meant it as an analogy or by way of symbolism or a parable or teaching in human terms what kind of a relationship he was looking for from us. For instance, he said, I am the door. We've already considered that if you've been here Sunday by Sunday. I am the door. Do we think that literally Jesus became a door? We don't, do we? It was a picture language description. People know what a door is for. It's for entrance. And Jesus is talking about himself as the entrance into a relationship with God. I am the way to God. I am the way you get into God. It's about me, Jesus speaking of himself. When Jesus spoke about being born again, a, a religious leader of that day mistook that language and asked Jesus, do you mean that I have to enter again a second time into my mother's womb and be born again? To which Jesus had to say to him in correcting him, are you a leading teacher in Israel and you do not know the truth of which I speak? And then he went on to speak about being born again of the Spirit. A spiritual rebirth. So he used human language concerning being born to speak of a spiritual truth about being born again. But being born again spiritually. Next week you'll consider Jesus, we will consider together, his being the vine. He literally isn't a vine. 
but that's to teach that we need to be engrafted into him so that his life can flow into us. So Jesus has given us bread representing his body and wine representing his blood and Toto to be the sacrifice expressed by way of this symbolism for our sins and to constantly rehearse when we worship together that as an expression of what it means to feed on him spiritually. Every new member's class, we teach this, as I have just taught you. And then we ask any questions, which is not going to happen here this morning. But if you've yet to go through the membership class, you'll receive more teaching on this. But one last thing then we consider together, how Jesus is soul food. How he nourishes our soul. It's a wonderful statement where scripture says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are sick of sin, sick of the sickness and foulness of this world, and long for something different, for what God really created us to be, like him, in his image. Wonderful statement of the Psalms. As the deer thirsts, pants for the water brooks, so thirsts my soul for you, the living God. Do you have that hunger and thirst? Do you have that longing for something more than just turning up every day, having breakfast, going to work, going through the motions? God has planted in us the seeds and longings of eternity. Originally created in his image and as fouled up as it's all become, we, you and I, and the world out there knows they were meant for something more than just turning up and having breakfast. Let me describe very swiftly soul food, the means of feeding, of being a disciple that comes and feeds on Jesus. Number one is worship. The opportunity to worship. Haven't you experienced some infilling from God just by coming together to worship Him, to sing to Him as we hear of His Word? And when you come forward for communion, in your mind, you're not coming to a rail to kneel at these kneelers and receive the body and blood of Christ literally, you come to the cross, see yourself walking up the hill to Calvary. In some churches, the communion is taken to you in the pews, not here. You come forward. What are you coming to? 
See yourself in your mind's eye coming to Jesus, giving yourself to him, kneeling at the cross, looking up to him. And as you receive the bread and the wine, thank him for dying for you, that you might be forgiven. And as you take that bread and that wine into yourself, not that you are taking literally Jesus into yourself with the bread and the wine, but in your spirits, ask Jesus to come and fill you with himself. And as bread and wine become a part of you, that Jesus comes into you and fills your being with himself, becomes a part of you. So that you are in Christ, he is in you. You belong to him, he belongs to you. You are joined to him. Come and worship him. Not the elements of bread and wine or a pastor. Come to him. Kneel down in his presence. Receive him again. Let him fill you. The word, reading God's word, is a way to feed on Jesus. There's a beautiful chorus I learned soon after becoming a believer. Listen to these words. Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me, as thou didst break the bread by Galilee. Beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. My spirit longs for thee, thou living word. Earlier this morning, my wife and I read the scripture together and prayed together. To be nourished by Jesus. He has given his word to us. Thy word is truth, he said. Jesus said those words. Not me, not a theologian, Jesus. Speaking to God in prayer. Thy word is truth. Beyond the truth of his word, we're seeking him, Jesus, the living word. Not just ideas for the mind, food for the soul. To bear witness, to declare yourself. Hence, pray for these people, declare your allegiance to Jesus in inviting them to come hear about the good news of the gospel. It will be a high visibility event at the consul. We're actually talking about getting buses here to bus people. That's August. Between now and August, you be praying. And then fellowship is a way to feed on Jesus. This afternoon, I've been invited with my wife to a home group to visit with the people in that home group. Spend time with them. I'm honored to do so. We've got any number of home groups right now. And Bob Mason, new man working with us, volunteer on our staff. Helping establish home groups. Later this week, my wife and I will be invited to dinner. Have been, will go to another home group. I don't know what we get to eat tonight, but 
you'll tell me later. I know we're going to have a bang-up meal later this week, just so you can start competing with each other. <laughs> but the idea of being together is about feeding on Jesus. Fellowship is a part of discipleship, as is worship, as is witness, as is reading the word, becoming more and more conformed to Jesus, looking more and more like him. Well, let's bow our heads and pray together. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, and feed on him in our hearts by faith. See yourself right now kneeling in the presence of Jesus. Speak to him from your heart. He has this appointment with you here this morning as part of our worship service. 